April is a big month. It's test drive month here at the new Lloyd Minster Nissan. Take any of our great selection of vehicles for a test drive and you'll get a $25 gas card. Purchase your new vehicle and get a $500 gas card. And anyone who makes a purchase in April will be entered in to win free gas for a year. There is something awfully familiar with that bunny. I see what you mean. Test drive month at the new Lloyd Mr. Nissan. We won't sell you a car, we'll help you buy one. Hi, Dale here from Superior Water. Do you know what's coming out of your water taps? At Superior Water, we know what's coming out of ours. The cleanest, best tasting water at $3 a jug. Treat your body right, Superior Water. This is Lloyd Minster's show. This is local that matters to you. Local people. Local events. Local news and sports. For Lloyd Minster and area, this is Live with Kurt Price from the new Lloyd Minster Nissan. Hey, welcome inside the new Lloyd Mr. Nissan. Great to have you with us on another edition of Patchwork. And our guest today is Mike Young. And of course, Tracy K. Hello, how are you? Tracy K. with us again. <laughs> uh, Trace, you got, a, you got a grandson. Last time I think we were on Patchwork, you were talking about how you were close to having a new grandson. Your grandson has arrived. Papa T is in the house. Yeah. Asher Raphael Poto, shout out to my grandson and one of my best friends in the entire world in, in, in a very short period of time. Awesome. <laughs> He's awesome. Marvelous. So on Patchwork, we love to tell you about what is happening in oil and gas. You should have sent a picture of that to Paul. He could have put it on the big screen <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, there you go. But uh, yeah, got him. Tracy, what is happening with the oil and gas prices right now? You know, it's been very steady. Um, once again, it's probably one of the most optimistic times in the last five years for sure that we've got some really good prices. I'm talking to guys that are actually working on other jobs and have, and have passed those jobs off to go to work for other jobs because the oil price is really good. So some of the guys out there that are consultant engineers that are normally in the field consulting are saying, guess what, I'm, not, I'm, I'm coming back out of the field now and I'm going to do some full-time more engineering because the production is of, and the cost of price of oil is so good. So just some really good optimistic stuff going on. I mean, you look at Facebook, you look at all of these different uh, internet postings and stuff like that, and you're going to see that uh, there's just job hiring all the time going on. But before I get into the prices, Mike Young, welcome, welcome. I'm just going to rattle off the prices. Thanks for, for coming on. Um, we did say something we wanted to say officially, and Mike said it was okay. You are our first Aboriginal guest on Patchwork, and we're super excited to have you on the show. We just want to get some insight and, and some stuff for the record about what the Aboriginal people are really think is going on in the oil industry, Mike. So... Mike cool. is the co-founder and president of Integrated Indigenous Energy Management, Inc. So it is right in the name of your company, Mike. Yep. Yeah, we put it, and that's by design. Uh, we wanted to, uh, our focus now is to integrate um, our Indigenous people to come out and actually do the work in the oil field now. And uh, we're providing the training to do that. So, uh, And uh, it's not just, it doesn't stop at the oil field. Uh, the reason why we got energy in our name is... Um, is because uh, we're leaning towards the green energy stuff and we're um, training people to uh, um, be able to manage all of the all of that stuff on the on their own home communities 
Nice. Well, before we get into talking with Mike about some of that stuff that we want to get some insight on the Aboriginal side, prices are still good. Still over 100 bucks a barrel. WTI this morning, $104.74 a barrel. Western Canadian Select has come down a little bit. I mean, we were knocking around 100 bucks even on the Western Canadian Select, but it's $87.92 a barrel. And keep in mind, folks, when we're doing the show, that's U.S. prices. So you can times that by at least 1.3, which technically gets you well over 100 bucks a barrel for Canadian for Western Canadian Select, Kurt. Rig counts today, 695 rigs in the United States of America, working right now and 815 internationally working. And we're, we've, Canada's got 101 rigs working right now in Canada. So um, keep in mind that those numbers are just going to continue to go up. Now, the last patchwork show or second last patchwork show we were talking about, Kurt, was with uh, Brian Zinchuk and Adam Waterman. and. Yep. Adam said a very interesting thing that even with the Russia-Ukraine situation that's going on, that we could kick all these wells in and have all this oil pumping and then we have, well, we couldn't do it because of the fact we just don't have the personnel. And so just a, just a shout out on our show that uh, if you're looking to get into the oil and gas industry, there is a ton of jobs and a ton of openings and, you know, take a look at some of the ads that are going on out there because we need the people right now to get some production back up again. Absolutely. We're seeing uh, lots of uh, advertisements for work, that's for mm-hmm. sure. And uh, so, Trace, what, has, uh, what was the increase in rigs in Canada? Uh, I think it was about, um, I didn't check the, the, the actual increase there, but I know that there was, they were up about a half a dozen wow. since the last time. And, and that's just going to keep getting higher because really the numbers, in my opinion, when you look at the rig counts, are not going to be based on activity as much as the fact of can they get the personnel I mean, I don't know of any rig company, and Mike can can uh, can talk a little bit about that because he's got a tremendous amount of experience working with the rigs and the consulting side of things. But it's about manpower now. You can have 25 rigs ready to go, but you need you need at least 125 guys to go out and run those 25 rigs. So it's a personnel thing, and the accounts will continue to go up as we can hire people. Now, keep in mind. Um, Not without any help from our government, of course, or anybody else in some ways. I shouldn't say anybody else, but with our federal government for sure. Some people have just wandered off into other industries and said, you know what, I'm done with this. And, uh, you know, now those people are saying, hey, you know, can you come back? We, we hope to give you some good offers and some signing bonuses and stuff because we really need you to get back into the industry. So it's very ripe for the picking it's a strong industry going forward here in the next while we just need workers okay and more news uh cap has a new yes a new president uh this is courtesy of pipeline online and brian zinchuk who you mentioned uh, this morning yes. and also where you can find uh patchwork uh the canadian association of petroleum uh, producers has named lisa baton as its new president and ceo so put another name on the board for patchwork that we will be interested Absolutely. in talking to lisa uh baton so congratulations to her and she of course replaces a gentleman that we know very well very much and so. a gentleman that is very well known in this area in Tim McMillan. She's going she to be not our taking over guest? on May 2nd. Was he not our first Tim guest? Tim was our first guest. Yes. Tim was our first and guest. And he was an awesome on guest. On Patchwork, you bet. So uh, we will put it on the radar that uh, she is uh, definitely a person that we would love to talk to on uh, Patchwork here. Now, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to Mike Young, and you've got something to read. Yes. And we'll get to that in uh, just a moment right here from the new Lloydminster Nissan. 
At Diamond 7 Meats, we work with local farm families to provide a high-quality product and a great selection for you. Try our mouth-watering Smokies, pulled pork, roast beef, and more. Made pure and natural with no additives or fillers. We offer custom processing, and our experienced team works for you to provide a selection of sausage, burgers, and jerkies made to your specifications. Take your grilling to the next level with a Yoder Smoker. Complete the grilling experience with a Canadian-made, award-winning line of House of Q barbecue sauces. We're locally owned and operated, and we look forward to seeing you today. In Touch Massage in downtown Lloydminster can help with stress and overall health. For those daily aches and pains, muscle disorders, mental wellness and relaxation, try In Touch Massage. Working with other health providers, artists and her team will work to enhance your overall well-being and get you mobile again. From anxiety to whiplash and more, trust In Touch Massage in Lloydminster. And direct billing is available. For local massage therapy that offers more than 60 years combined experience and gives back to their community, call In Touch Massage, 780-871. 0977 Here, Ma! Fetch me a drink of water! What's the blazing, Jeremiah? This is dirty! Where's the good stuff? Where's the superior water? Papa, Bubba's using it all. Does your water taste like it's from the 1800s? Choose Superior Water. They carry a wide range of equipment and supplied bottled water. Superior Water, Lloydminster. I love me the Superior Water. PWM Steel in Lloydminster is the key supplier and largest indoor inventory of steel between Edmonton and Saskatoon. Locally owned, PWM Steel offers a wide range of services from steel cutting and bending to custom sign and powder coating. PWM Steel uses aluminum products as well as new and recycled steel. Key supplier of steel products and services since 1982. Visit their website at pwmsteel.com. Local people, local events, local advertising. To advertise on Live with Kirk Price, call 780-522-9433 or visit forgesmedia.com. Welcome back inside the new Lloyd Mr. Nissan for Patchwork. And I'd like to officially introduce our guest this morning, uh, Mike Young, co-founder and president of Integrated Indigenous Energy Management, Inc., is joining us here this morning. And uh, as Tracy had mentioned, uh, he is our first Indigenous uh, guest. And uh, we've been working to get this sort of aspect on uh, oil and gas for a while now and uh, Mike definitely has some experience in it and yes. he's helping to lead more indigenous people into uh, oil and gas so we'll get to that in just a moment but you've got a letter that yeah uh, I got a little you, letter you here that, uh, the, 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 you know Mike uh, we had some business uh, dealings that we were uh, discussing and then uh, it just it just became a really cool uh, option to have Mike come on come on the show so we're, we're excited to have him today this was an open letter to Hollywood. Dear Hollywood, don't interfere with Indigenous aspirations and ResourceWorks. ResourceWorks calls on Hollywood to respect Indigenous economic aspirations in this open letter on celebrities in the Coastal Gas Link. The acting hereditary chief, Wylight Teresa Tate Day of the Laxiliu Small Frog Clan, and Michael, correct me on my language later, but... <laughs> 
Um, she's the one who put this letter together. Dear Hollywood, for many Indigenous people in Canada, development of natural resources is a path from poverty, poverty to prosperity. That's why we are concerned when distant but well-meaning celebrities use their influence to oppose projects like the Coastal GasLink Pipeline, which has substantial support from local First Nations. And we'll go to the next page. Whether in Canada or the United States, Indigenous people face daily challenges that amount to a significantly lower quality of life than the general population. The UN Human Development Index ranks Canada between 6th and 8th, whereas First Nations communities in Canada regularly rank 63rd or 78th. So they're very high up on the chain. First Nations community in Canada. In other words, one in four Indigenous people, can Canadians, live in poverty and two in five Indigenous children live in poverty. High school graduation rates among the first Indigenous youth are half the Indigenous youth now of the non-Indigenous youth. In general, Indigenous communities in Canada face a lower quality of life in all aspects, including health, housing, income, mental health, suicide rates, and incarceration rates. For many Indigenous communities across Alberta and British Columbia, uh, see the Canadian uh, coastal pipeline offers a pathway to prosperity. Um, with this, TC Energy earlier this year has agreed to sell 10% equity to the First Nations Limited Partnership as of March of 2000, uh, March 9th of 2022. This project is so important for so many Indigenous communities that it serves as a major asset by helping reduce poverty rates and increasing the standard of living amongst Indigenous communities around Western Canada. So that's some, some pretty cool points there. And one final part here is <coughs> you're always disappointed when celebrities stop doing their trade and start giving out practical sub, sub advice. They are completely entitled to do that. But I would take it as someone who lives somewhere else having a comment about BC. Um, her chief estimates that 87% of her community support the pipeline. 87%. Of the wet sweat nation. Of the wet sweat nation. While the blockade protests and involvement of the RCMP may convey otherwise, a strong majority of the nation does indeed support the coastal pipeline. <coughs> so that's, uh, that's really cool. And the final note here was, with these considerations in mind, we ask that you approach the issue with sensitivity, humility, and respect for Indigenous aspirations. That's usually, that, that letter, like everything else that they do, will be ignored. <laughs> you know, by everybody who cares about the people in people in our country right? well they're they're talking kurt about the fact that it's not everybody it's that's a 87 percent. i'll take that as a great average in school well, every day man and stay in your lane yeah stay in your lane if you're an actor act you know like why are you trying to influence people who don't want to be influenced yeah by you absolutely i mean you know everybody <laughs> everybody's entitled to their opinion but when you start sharing your opinion and putting it as someone else's opinion, which has been done several, several times. That's right. Uh, particularly with the Indigenous people in Canada, in my opinion. I don't, know, I don't want to speak for you, Mike, but that's what it looks like to me. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, that's uh, um, the one thing that we've noticed, like just watching the news and stuff like that, and my wife follows a little bit on social media, what's happening and stuff. And from what we could see uh, and from what we know, you know, uh, uh, indigenous communities welcome the thought of having employment. Amen. Doesn't, it doesn't matter Amen. where it comes from. That's right. right? And uh, as far as the protest goes, uh, we've seen that uh, 
that uh, people uh, get paid to start those protests and they don't even know why they're there even yeah like people go and you know get a crowd going and and like why are we even here you know they, uh, an interviewer will go and ask them what's uh, what's happening and they have no idea like for example the fracking um, protest that they had they had no idea what fracking even was you know what but they're protesting they've heard yeah. it's bad though yeah, yeah. 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 And who, who, they don't even know why it's bad. Yeah. So you were telling us before we started that, you know, we're we're mentioning some names like Leonardo DiCaprio and things like that. Oh, Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, sorry, DiCaprio. And, and you were saying, I don't even pay attention to that stuff. No. I mean, I, I just don't. I just it's not in my wheelhouse. I don't care about that. No, no. I'm uh, I'm focused on things that 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 happens today and things that are coming for tomorrow. And the past is the past. You know, we can learn from all that kind of stuff. And that's where I leave it. Yeah. So, so Mike, let's talk about you. Let's, let's get into uh, Mike Young and uh, where you grew up. Uh, I grew up in uh, Cumberland, a little community called Cumberland House, Saskatchewan. It's, uh, it's on the opposite border of Saskatchewan. So uh, it's directly, I, the way I like to describe it is it's directly east of us as the crow flies at the, on the opposite border. Um, so I grew up there, uh, till I was, um, I think I was 14 when I left. Mike, is that a reserve? Half reserve and half Métis settlement. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I left there, um, and attended residential school in Prince Albert. And how I got in there was, uh, there was a white van coming around town and picking up my friends. And I'm like, where are you guys going? Can I come? I just jumped in and off I went. Not knowing where I was going, I just jumped in because my friends were doing it. Right? So, and I ended up at residential school in uh, Prince Albert for a year. Uh, well, a year and a little bit. Um, and that was uh, a little bit of an experience for me. Um, uh, from there... I uh, kind of moved around. I made a lot of contacts while I was there, uh, all over northern Saskatchewan. And uh, and uh, some of those contacts I still keep in touch with. Uh, and then uh, shortly after that, I, I met my wife. Um, and we uh, started a life together in, in Saskatoon. Um, I was working as a dietitian there for the RPC. Uh, what is RPC? Uh, Regional Psychiatric Center. Oh, okay. Uh, so I was I was a dietitian slash dishwasher, if you want to call it that. And uh, <clears throat> while I was in there, the the guards that were in there um, offered me a position to work as a as a corrections officer. And uh, at the same time, I was uh, being introduced to my biological dad, who lives in Lloydminster here, and. Uh, uh, he just so happened to be living just outside of Saskatoon in Osler, and oh he was God. working in the oil industry uh, for Beta Well Servicing back in those days. What uh, what time of the year or what time of uh, years would that have been in the late nineties or uh, the two thousand ninety five? Ninety five, okay. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, um, we uh, I met I met him and he told me that he's been working in the oil industry and. Oh, it's hard work. He said, I don't know if he can handle it. You know, that kind of negativity coming from my white biological dad, if it's okay to say that. But, you know, and uh, I said, well, you know, I, I can work pretty hard. 
you know, give me a chance. Yeah. And then finally, um, so I, I filled out the application for the corrections officer. And uh, I also asked him for a job. I got in a mail a letter of acceptance from the Corrections Canada to go for my training in Regina. And from what the guards were telling me, it was like 15 bucks an hour or something like that, right? And working outside in the oil industry was 10 bucks an hour. <laughs> uh, so, that probably didn't take too long to so, figure out, Mike. So I'm but. thinking, you know, working for the government for $15 an hour, yeah, secure, but I'm working inside. I'm an outside guy. I grew up in the outdoors, right? right? I don't think I would have. I don't think I would have made a good choice if I would have stayed indoors. So I chose to go for ten bucks an hour. So off I went, went to uh, Provost, Alberta. Was that your first job, Mike? Yep. And how did that go? Well, uh, I started with them. <laughs> and uh, what company was it? By that the way? was that was Better Well Servicing, Better Get a New Rig. Um, can I better, just, can I take you back though for one minute? What did your family think when you were off a residential school? When I was off a residential school, my my parents were, they were there, but uh, they pretty much let me do my own thing. You seem like the kind of guy that was on your own by yourself, right? I I did a lot of raising myself, and uh, I have a younger sister that I uh, helped raise, I'd like to say, you know, uh, cook for her and stuff like that while my parents were doing Mm -hmm. their own thing. And... uh, uh, so yeah, they uh, once they found out where I was at, they were like, "What the heck are you doing there?" You know, and um, and I told them how I ended up there, and off I went. Right. So that's just an odd story, Mike. I've got to tell you, Kurt. And I've had a lot of guys on the show and that, but going, okay, I'm going to come off of the. Let's just say it as nicely as I can. I'm going to come off the reservation. I'm in residential school, and I'm going to the oil patch. That's a pretty big step. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and and like we've heard terrible stories about residential schools mike was your experience terrible um no uh all the terrible stuff or most of the terrible stuff that happened to a lot of our people have uh have at this point have been mitigated so to speak this was this was after sort of yeah 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 so this the stuff that i was in uh was you know there was still uh, strong, some of the strong discipline and sexual that? abuse, and oh, okay. we couldn't we couldn't really uh, speak our language in front of the supervisors and stuff like that. Um, you had to, if you wanted to go to school, yeah, you could go to school, uh, but you were on your own. If you got up, woke up in time to catch the bus, then yeah, you went. But if you wanted to lazy around and stay in bed, yeah, you could do that too. It just didn't matter, right? Um, I just find it amazing, like, because we're about the same age. Mm-hmm. So I just find it amazing that there was residential schools when I was young. Yeah. Like, it, it's not that, like, people think of it as so long ago. It wasn't that long ago. No, no. That, that school that I was in was the last school that, that shut down in 1996, actually. Um, so that would have been located where, Mike? Prince Albert. Prince Albert, Albert. yeah. Yep. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you graduated. You graduated high school. Yeah, I, uh, I I struggled. I uh, you know I uh, I thought I could try and make a living for for myself, but um, somehow somewhere in my head somebody put in there that I needed to graduate, and so I kept at it. You know, I took a year off. Uh, my grade eleven year, I think it was. Uh, I couldn't work and go to school at the same time. I couldn't support myself while I was going to high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
I ended up uh, quitting school and tried to make a living for myself. And, uh, and that was in, uh, in uh, Larange is where I was when, uh, when that was going on. And I thought, you know, my friends are starting to graduate. My friends were lucky enough that they had the support of their parents or the support of their grandparents, however. And some of, some of my friends made it through to grade 12 and graduated. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to at least, at the very least, get my grade 12. So what I did uh, was I had a, I had a car. And um, I had an uh, Oldsmobile Delta 88. I think it was a 1989. Oh, you were styling, Mike. Oh, it was a styling piece of crap. Styling and profiling. <laughs> 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 it's a piece of crap. Just the way he said it, I got an old Delta 88. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, yeah, for a while I thought you were kind of fond of that vehicle. <laughs> so so uh, how I acquired that was I, uh, I was working and I... And I I can't remember exactly what I paid for it, but uh, I ended up uh, buying the car. And uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to go back home and uh, see if I can maybe utilize whatever connections I got left over there to try and finish my grade 12. And uh, so anyway, uh, I found a place that I could rent. So at, at that time, I'd haul wood or whatever, haul water, cut grass, you know, just to make rent. Rent wasn't very, wasn't very expensive, like... 150 bucks a month for you know like a little cabin kind of mm -hmm. kind of thing kind of is for a high school student Mike. yeah i mean uh, yeah well you know in the, like there's no running water there was power but there was no running water or nothing so and it was a place to lay my head you know and mm -hmm. and uh, that was that was um that was good for me you know i was happy and uh so anyway um i managed to make rent and then my landlord would come and wake me up six o'clock every morning Come and have coffee with me. You got coffee ready? And he asked me, he wanted to buy my car for one of his kids, right? And I said, I'll tell you what, William. I'll trade you straight across my car for your house. He said, well, I'm going to have to get back to you. So he comes back two days later. Deal. Wow. I traded my car for his house. <laughs> so... That's how I ended up with my first house. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. That's a good deal. <laughs> so uh, I told him, I said, I, you know, I'm having all kinds of issues with this car. I said, I got a carburetor that I just bought from Napa. It's sitting in the trunk of the car. I said, it needs it. Uh, I said, the bumper's falling off. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's just a heap, right? And he said, I don't care. He said, my, this is something that my son can drive, you know, perfect, good enough. So I was on the footmobile. For a little while. So you had your house. I had my house. You had a place mobile. to live. Yeah. 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 So you didn't have to worry about if, rent anymore. If I remember right, I think I paid like 600 bucks for the car. And then uh, shortly after I graduated, I left again. I went back to Laurent's to go and, you know, hang out with the friends. You know, 17, 18 years old, hanging out with the friends, having a good time. And uh, uh, my dad calls me and he says, uh, what do you want to do with your house? I said, I don't know. What do you want to do with it? So I got a guy that wants to buy it. I said, okay, for how much? He wants to buy it for 1500 bucks. Sold. Wow. <laughs> I'm not going to go back there. So, yeah, go ahead. Take it. Right? So I sold it for 1500 bucks. Um, so, yeah, he took care of it. It's still there. You know, um, it's still a thing. It's still an older house. It still doesn't have running water. Uh, and it still looks exactly the same way as I left it. Jeez, you should have bought a picture of that for the show, Mike. <laughs> that would have been cool. I would have liked to have seen that. Just, it's just a one-roomer? One room? Two rooms. Oh, two, two rooms. rooms. Oh, yeah. so 
It's kind of like a condo then. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's when you went to Provost? No, uh, no. I, uh, I was uh, in Larange and I, I had met my wife just before I left um, Cumberland House because uh, my wife was there uh, doing some upgrading so that she can get some post-secondary. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, her, her and I, we were seeing each other quite a bit and, and uh, I was finding myself more drawn to her than my friends so we ended up uh we ended up moving in together in saskatoon and then uh you know saskatoon no wheels well i did have uh, a cordoba that i bought from the junkyard for 200 bucks and uh, uh actually no i worked for that car um and what i what i thought was worth uh, the work that i did was i built a i built a, a shed that was uh, 16 by 8. And uh, the guy said, what do you want? I said, uh, well, I said, you got, you know, 10 cars sitting in your, in your yard here. I said, what about one of these cars? And um, at first the, the deal was I was gonna, he was going to give me 200 bucks to build a shed. And um, uh, he couldn't pay me for some reason. I can't remember why, but he said, yeah. You can go ahead and take that whatever car you want. So I picked out this Cordoba, and he said transmission shot on that one. But you can go get the transmission out of this car and put it in that car. And I said, "Oh, okay, I'll do that." So put transmission in the car, got it up and running, put some plates on it. You know, that was um, my wife at the time had a Ford Mustang um, car. I can't remember what it was, but laser blue. That was the color of it. And uh, so anyway, uh, she had that. And so we, she was on her way to Saskatoon. She had already got accepted into U of S uh, to go and take a teaching degree. And um, uh, so we uh, ended up uh, living in Saskatoon. And, and at the, I couldn't afford to pay for the fuel to drive around Saskatoon. And so I, at first I was on the footmobile because I didn't know. Was that when uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau was no, federal? No, no, I'm no. just kidding. Well, this is yeah. <laughs> so at first, uh, actually, yeah. we looked back cheap gas too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, like it probably was like fifty-six cents a liter or something. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't like yeah. rent. I think uh, was six hundred bucks at that time, and you know, when for she was uh, getting funding to go to school and I was helping pay rent right yeah and then as far as the groceries went it was like every the the paychecks that we had that were three times a month that was that was pizza day right we couldn't afford anything we just managed to live day to day from paycheck to paycheck yeah and uh on those months that that had three paid paydays well yeah we had pizza for sure I don't miss those days <laughs> you miss those days? I don't miss those no, days. No, no, it, People it, always say, well, I look back on the good old days. I don't miss those yeah, days. <laughs> I'm more about what's going on now yeah. and into the future myself. Yeah. Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, I, I was on the footmobile looking for a job. It, it was tough to try and find a job in Saskatoon. And I walked everywhere. Uh, and then I found out uh, bus fare was only 50 cents at the time. Uh, but I didn't know how how the bus or the bus routes worked. Yeah, and stuff. I didn't yeah. know how the bus worked. I was afraid of it, 
and I'd much rather walk because I was able to get you know my bearings better that way yeah. because knew where you were going. Yeah, you can you you know when you're walking downtown, you you're looking at a landmark. Oh yeah, you you know you need recognize it. When you're driving by, you don't recognize it as much because it's too fast, right? Yeah. So and that's how I got around. Uh, once I once I figured out my landmarks and how uh, public transportation worked, then uh, that made things a little, a little easier. But it took me, you know, uh, it wasn't for lack of trying. It was every day, every day, sending out resumes and stuff. And it took me probably three, four months to finally get some kind of a job. And that was that first job was that at at uh, RPC. So uh, uh, I worked there for oh about six months or so. Uh, not, not maybe not quite six months, but uh, at the same time I got that offer, both offers I was just talking about. And uh, while I was there, the cooks that were in there, uh, I told them what, what I was faced with, the choices I had to make. And, uh, and uh, the one guy says, oh, I know provost. He says, you got to be afraid of the KKK over there if you're going to go over there. And I'm like, oh? I had no idea who the KKK was or even what that even meant. And uh, so I didn't ask him what it actually meant. Did you think meant. that was some kind of a version of something else or you didn't even know what it stood for, right? I had no idea what it was. <laughs> no clue. Yeah. Um, and uh, so anyway, uh, I didn't ask him what it was. He never elaborated. And I, I said, yeah, I think that's where I'm going to go. And he said, well... He says, being that you're, and you know, I started to think after he said, being that you're a colored person, he says, just be careful of what you, what, who you talk to over there. Mm -hmm. I said, well, thanks for the tip, you know, I'm not scared of people. Yeah. I'll go. So I went. How old would you have been then, Mike? Uh, 19. 19. Yeah. Yeah, about, about 19. And um, so anyway, I went out to work and uh, worked for my uh, biological dad at the time. And, uh, you know, back in them days, um, yelling and screaming was acceptable. And that yelling and screaming stuff has always been one of my pet peeves, you know, to try and belittle people <coughs> and uh, make them feel inferior. You know, uh, that's, that, that was another thing about me is, is um, I always stood up for people that were being bullied. And uh, even as young as I was in, in, in school, uh, when my, it wasn't even necessarily my friends. When I saw somebody being bullied, then I in, I intervened. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, there's a few stories about how I intervened and stuff like that, but that's for another conversation. And uh, so anyway, I felt that he was uh, a bully. And uh, your, your dad? Yeah, I felt that he was a bully, and he and he couldn't uh, um, manage. Uh, his people properly or you know couldn't or wasn't uh, the leader that he should have been mm -hmm. in my eyes right mm -hmm. and uh, the straw that broke the camel's back between him yelling at me and the and the well and the well-said supervisor at that time uh, it was breakup um, so muddy and stuff I dropped uh, a piece of pipe I remember this clearly because it was so real for me. I dropped a piece of pipe and I splashed the wellside supervisor with some mud. And uh, and he come down on me hard, right? And I said, oh, okay, no problem. I went and packed my stuff and started walking down the highway. 
And uh, so I walked for, you know, those, uh, where I was, I, I had no idea where, which direction I was even going. Um, all I knew was I was going north, right? And um, uh, I didn't know what town I was going to run into or nothing. Um, so anyway, he, after the shift was done, they got all rigged out and stuff, and, and uh, he, he come by and he picked me up after I'd been walking for a few hours. And, the well site uh, supervisor? No, the, uh, the rig manager. The rig manager. Yeah. And uh, he told me, uh, he said, you know, he said, um, uh, your brother is in Lloydminster. He said, and he's working out there. He said, you might, might be able to, you know, find some opportunity there. And I said, well, I said, is it, is it the same as what I've been dealing with here? And he says, well, it depends on who you get. He says, uh, a lot of times, he said, it's, it's kind of the same. Uh, you know, it, you really got to work hard to, uh, to make sure you keep your job and stuff like that. So anyway, I think I worked for, it was a little over a, little over a week anyway. And uh, I ended up jumping in my Cordoba and going back to Saskatoon because my wife was in, we weren't married yet, but my wife, I left my wife in Saskatoon with my, with my daughter. And uh, so anyway, we... Uh, we uh, were sitting there trying to figure out what I'm going to do next because I gave up my government job, right? Uh, I was already supposed to be in Regina by this time. And uh, all of a sudden, the paycheck come in the mail. All of a sudden, we looked at the paycheck, and I looked at my wife, and holy crap, we can have pizza for an entire month. <laughs> right? So it's you like, must have been working some good hours on the rig then, yeah, were you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, uh, I think the, the paycheck was like nine, over $900. Oh, my goodness. And that yeah. was amazing money, right? That yeah. was almost $1,000. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that, that was a lot of money, you know, compared to us making, you know, or me making, you know, three, 300 bucks a month, you know, and I was just barely to pay enough rent, yeah. right? Pay rent and then whatever's left over, you, you pay groceries. Yeah. So you were onto something here. You're saying, man, yeah. this is some good dough here. I, I don't know if I'm going to go into the uh, Regina situation. This is per looking pretty good. Yeah. Do you so, think if you do you think if you'd have got that paycheck before you splashed him with the pipe and he came down on you, would you have stayed and taken the abuse, Mike? Because you no, felt because of the money. No, no, I I didn't I didn't uh, go for the abuse. I that just wasn't my thing. It wasn't what I was about as a person. Because some guys would just say, okay, well, I'm making good yeah. money, so I'm going to, you know, whatever. There's lots of guys that are out there. I want to just interject there for a second. We we get a bad, I don't even say a bad rap, is that a lot of times when it comes to experience out there, experience is one thing, handling people is another. I'll say that again. Experience is one thing, handling other people is another thing. And a lot of times we get on work sites and stuff where there's tremendous amount of experience, but it's not it's not handed to the personnel the right way. And so when you look at resumes and the guy says, well, I got 35 years experience, you gotta have some references on there of how he treats people. I would rather have a guy with medium experience that treats guys really well than a guy with tremendous amount of experience that doesn't treat people well. And unfortunately in our industry, Mike, lots of times that, that can end up being the case. And I'm not saying that disrespectfully over the air, it just a lot of times that was the case, you know, you go get that thing done, and we got to get this done and that instead of actually 
sitting down and taking a little bit of time to show those people what really needs to be done out there. So, so you get your paycheck and you're thinking, well, maybe I should get back into this. <laughs> yeah. So the wife, the wife and I had a discussion, and uh, I said, well, uh, this is what um, this is what the push told me, and uh, so I think maybe I'll go barge in on on brother. So uh, jumped in my car again, and I found out where he lived through. Uh, I can't remember where, but uh, anyway, I went and parked in this spot because he didn't have a vehicle either, and he was working on the rig. Uh, at that time, he was already working Derek, uh, so he's got like a year or more, uh, a year of experience more than I do. Older or younger? He's, than you? He's a little older, yeah. Little, okay. And uh, and he just so happens to have the same name. <laughs> His name is Mike as well. Uh, so anyway, we. Uh, I barged in on him, and, and we've met once before, you know, at, at, a, at a family gathering when I met my biological dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we met once, and uh, when he showed up from, from work, and, he, uh, and I went at him to, you know, just to go and say hi, you know, and try and be friendly, and he had no idea who I was, right? I, all he saw was this big Indian coming at him, right? <laughs> And, uh, and I, I meant no harm. I just was, you know, I was looking for a place to live. And he was, batch, he was batching in, in Lloyd here. He had no woman, no nothing, right? So, and he had an apartment. And uh, I was looking for a place to lay my head. So um, anyway, he took me in. Um, I, I, and, it, and it ended up that uh, he got evicted because I was there. Uh, he wasn't supposed to have anybody else in the apartment, so... Uh, anyway, uh, so that put me back in my car. And so at the same time, I'm still, you know, at, there was a lot of people looking for work at that time. So jobs weren't as, as they are today. What, uh, what, uh, time in the world would that have been, Mike? Is that you get into the early two thousands now or no. late, late nineties? No, that was in 96. 1996. Okay. Yeah. I can't remember what time of year that was, but that was right around or right around or right after breakup or something like that. But at that time, we did not break up anyway. Like, we worked right through all the mud, mm-hmm. as far as I could remember. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, um, the best thing I thought was to go and I was living out of my car, and I went and parked in front of the Leon Oil Field, or Oil is, uh, office or shop. Leon Oil Well Servicing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so the first guy to come in was at 4.30 in the morning. And uh, so I got, I got up, got out of the car, and I followed him into the shop. He didn't lock me out or nothing. Once he opened the door, the door was open. So I went into the shop, found the coffee pot, figured out how to make coffee, and away I went. And he was off doing whatever he was doing. I didn't even know where he went. He just disappeared. So then he came back finally uh, a few minutes later and... And he saw that coffee was already made, and I was sitting there having a the coffee, and he didn't even ask who I was or nothing, right? And so is this your new form of resumes, Mike? Is this just what this is now, getting mm. this was your resume? Yeah. <laughs> the next job. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, so uh, there it was, you know, uh, having coffee, and um, I didn't really spark up a conversation with him either, and he didn't care that I was there, and people started coming in, and... And whoever came in, I, you know, I talked to them and say, hey, you know, I'm looking for a job. You know, I've been here since 4.30 this morning. Uh, I didn't tell them that I, I spent the night in the parking lot. Yeah. 
But I said I've been here since 4.30 this morning hoping to get out onto a rig. And uh, finally, by 9 o'clock that morning, I was off, off to a rig and started that way. Wow. So you throw you a pair of coveralls? You had your coveralls? Yeah, Just... I had a couple pair of my better coveralls that I had from the previous job. But at that time, those guys were supplying coveralls anyway. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, yeah, off I went. And, you know, and, and Bob's your uncle. I was, I started that. There was a lot of. There so that's a lot your of, first job in Lloydminster. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of, uh, you know, struggles that I, that I was faced with. Uh, one, number one being that uh, I wanted to make enough money to try and bring my, my future wife at that time and my, and my daughter uh, to Lloydminster. Uh, because the, where I was going, like I didn't have one certain rig. I was bouncing between rigs. Once mm-hmm. you got employed, then you just bounced around until somebody decided they wanted to keep, keep you. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, I could not find a place to live and work at the same time. Uh, because by the time I was done work, it was already too late. People are, you know, they're not answering the door for or answering the phone for um, a place to live or anything like that right so I asked my wife I said why don't you come and pay me a visit and I, I found that what happened was one of the crews that I was that I was working with found out that I was living out of my car and he uh, he offered me the basement he said there's a bed down in the basement if you want to go and stay down there you know at least you got somewhere to go and so yeah I took it um, and uh, um, ended up finding a, another place that I could rent a room, an official rent, right, room rent. And I asked them if I could bring my wife to come and help me find a place to live. And they, they accepted, so off we went. You know, my wife come and uh, found a place. Yeah, okay, $200 damage deposit. All right, so we went to the, or she went to the bank, come back with $200, place was gone so back to the drawing board right uh and that happened a couple of times so now we learned from that we got to have cash on hand right and uh finally we found a place at glenwood village that was our first apartment together uh in lloydminster and uh that's where we started was there and uh and we quickly figured out that we wanted to have our own house our own mortgage right and uh we found a um nice bungalow for $60,000 at a grad sale and we put in to buy it and we got it you know uh-huh. and from there we kind of moved up and uh, uh, at the same time I was I was moving up the ladder and uh, catching on quite quickly so were you still at lean at this time then Mike uh, yeah I was so you were you started off roughnecking Yep. Yep. So you would have started off roughnecking, and then how long did you stay with Leon? And where were some I, I of the was, other jobs you had in Lloydminster then at that? Yeah, I was at Leon for. Uh, I think I was almost a year. Almost a year I was there, and I worked my way up to to Derrick Hand Relief Drilling, and then uh, Safeway Well Servicing, um, come up with a drilling job. So I took off to Safeway Well Servicing to be a full-time driller. Uh, Safeway got bought out by uh, Enzyme, or Artisan got bought out by Enzyme, and back to Lee, and it went. And uh, from there, uh, I went to Raider Well Servicing, 
And uh, at Raider, I was there for, I believe, six years and worked my way up to rig manager, push up. Raider, for Raider? Manager. Yeah. Oh, so you worked for Marty. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, worked with Tracy. Yeah. The other Tracy the in other town. The other Tracy, yeah. So, yeah, I, I was there for about six years. And uh, by this time, I've had, I have about uh, a little over 10 years experience. And uh, uh, then I found a job with uh, Bradshaw Well Servicing. And when I left Lloyd Minister, that was the first time I left Lloyd Minister after starting here, it was 10 years experience in the, in the heavy oil. Uh, I went to Bradshaw, my first paycheck was three times more than what Marty was paying me. And I'm like, holy, right? Um, it, the first paycheck went through no problem. Second paycheck was just as much, if not more, my bank account froze. And I'm, my wife's calling me like, what the hell's going on here, right? And so I, uh, so I called the bank and I said, what's going on? Well, we need you to come down here. So I went down to the bank and I said, well, what's going on? How come I, how come I can't pull any money out of my bank? He said, well, we froze your account. I said, well, why is that? He said, well, we want to know why there's all of a sudden a big influx of money coming into your account. Gee whiz. And I'm like, why does it matter? He said, well, we just want to make sure you're not dealing drugs. Oh, jeez. And I'm like, really? Seriously? Yep. That's, what, that's why we froze it. We want to know if you're dealing drugs. And I'm like, I'm not dealing drugs. I just found another job that pays me twice as much as I was getting before. I said, I'm still doing the same job, just for a different company. So apparently that... Uh, Did that satisfy him? That was enough to satisfy him. Uh, you must have been pretty bitter, though. I was. Uh, All he had to do was call up his workplace and say, this guy's making some serious dough, or yeah. even if, he, if it would have got down to that, right? Yeah. Um, but I mean, uh, a lot. Of, I think going looking back on it, I think it had to do with my uh, my nationality. Uh, you know, I I think that was directly a race a racial thing, um, racial profiling, if you want to call it that. Um, but you know, we between my wife and I, we we got through that kind of stuff pretty easy. Um, you know, my wife is a little bit more native looking than I am. Uh, so she was faced with it pretty much daily when she first came here. You know, Lloyd Minster was very racist when we first came here. Uh, but now that uh, we're starting to make a difference, you know, people get to know us and stuff, it's not quite as bad anymore. You know, there's still the odd thing here and there, but, I mean, that's that's a working progress. And I know? think that's almost everywhere in the world. But uh, I just want to high-five you then because... Um, we, we, we don't have any time for that in this town. No, no. We, no. we love you, Mike. It's all good. <laughs> when, we, so when did you come back to Lloyd? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and why would you leave a job that's paying so much? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that was why I left Lloyd, was it was paying more, right? Well, let me ask you this. Like, when you, when you, moved, when you were working in Lloyd and doing different jobs, and you said, you know, you left Provost because of basically verbal abuse yeah right was it completely different not when completely, you got to Lloyd? no no there was still the odd time where i ran into people that that ran that system right yeah and uh did you and, feel that was uh, with profiling as well 
It's been uh, in some no, cases. I, I think it was individual. It was just, based. It was just this is what happens yeah. in the oil field. Yeah, yeah okay. and I, I want to vouch for that a little bit and on all of us. Um, Mike and I could be working on the same rig, and I could be getting it harder than Mike. That was just yeah. a Mike. Like yeah. it didn't matter. Like if Mike's Mike's doing his job and doing what he's doing, and somebody thought that I wasn't, I'm going to get it more than he is. Right. It don't matter what we look like or who we are okay. and what our blood is. Yeah. Uh, that's just how do we say that, Mike? Because we're we're both really big rig guys. We've done so much rig work together. Yeah. Or like on the rigs. Um, no, that you're towing the line, man. You're okay. If you're not yeah. towing the line, you're going to get an earful. It yep. didn't matter. Yeah, and that's and that's just the way it was, right? That's the way people were taught, you know, and that's the way they thought they should be teaching. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, there's a good line. Like, it's not a. I don't think people were necessarily in all the rigs that I worked on, and I got into supervisor positions and stuff through the years and that. And I know what that's like. Um, I don't think people did it to be mean to people and said, "You better do this, this, and this." It, and you know that saying, well, this is how my dad raised me, so this is how I do it. Yeah. I think that really got through a lot of times, and I, I'm just even going to interject even on the safety side. Man, the stuff we used to do when I was working on the rigs 40 years ago, you just you just don't get away with that now. Yeah. Just, the stuff has changed, and uh, safety, um, character, um, you know, socializing and being good to people and and uh, the the just how you talk to people and that. Yeah, do we still talk and be a little bit roughneck here and there? Of course we do, but that's all. That a lot of that's changed now compared to what it was even in Mike and our time. Yeah. So you move out of Lloyd. Did you sell your house when you moved out of Lloyd? No, no. I my I raised we raised our family in in Lloydminster. Uh, but that took you out on the road with with yeah. Bradshaw because oh, they're not okay. from around here. No, much. they're not. Yeah, so that Bradshaw was based out of Consort, and uh, that I think, hands down, was the best I was ever treated. Is when I worked for Bradshaw. Uh, the the staff, the management staff there were amazing. You know, uh, all they wanted out of you was a good day's work, mm-hmm. and if you put in a good day's work, they treated you really well. You know, and I, I, I got to say, yeah, that's that was my best experience. But you were also going to get some specialty work out of that too, Mike, which helped you, which we're going to talk about on your consulting side because I know that as well. I did rigs for years, and then I started running downhole tools. Well, you start running downhole tools. Now I'm over at Mike's Rig in Concert, Alberta one day. Next, I'm over in Medicine Hat. Next, I'm over in Bonneville. Now I'm up at uh, Red Earth. You just gain so much more experience. And yep. Bradshaw had rigs a lot of different places. So you're going to get a whole nother wave of experience. Yep. And that's exactly what I, that's exactly what, I, what happened to me is, you know, once I started experiencing light oil and gas, Never did I want to come back to heavy oil. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I managed to, you know, for the most part, I managed to stay away from heavy oil. But I still, you know, do, do the odd jobs here and there uh, with heavy oil. But, I mean, I, you don't, it's like riding a bike, right? Yeah. You don't forget that kind of stuff. Yeah. So. Um, can, uh, you, can you kind of expand on what the big difference is, though? Is it just dirtier? <laughs> harder uh, obviously it's harder work if you don't want it's not it's not harder uh it's actually a lot less work uh but it's repetitious you're talking the lighter oil no the oh, heavy, the heavy oil. oil yeah yeah it's repetitious there's you know a pump change is a pump change whereas when you're working with light oil um 
it's nine times out of ten, it's not just a pump change. There's some kind of specialty work that's going to go along with it, right? For uh, like I, I even got into uh, frac supervising, um, uh, knowing what I know about light oil and gas and stuff. There's there's always something that you can learn, even in, even in heavy oil. I'll, I'll say even in heavy oil, every day you learn something. Well, let me elaborate on that because we get a lot of guys through the years that have come from light oil to try to come into heavy oil. Now, Mike can vouch for that because he got heavy oil and then went to light oil. That's a different whole other yep. form because then he's got both of them. But you take a light oil guy and bring him into heavy oil. They don't even know what heavy oil is. They don't know what rods and tubing literally floating in the hole because the oil is so heavy. They don't know that when you're taking the tubing out and there's this much of a coating on the outside of the tubing from heavy oil that won't come off or light oil, you just put a stripper rubber on there, whatever, and strip all that oil off and it's lighter stuff. So they, in my opinion, have a lot of tougher times sometimes adjusting to, we, our stuff takes a lot longer to clean up because it's heavy you gotta you've got to use a lot more hot water you've got to use things like that a lot more well when you get guys in light oil coming to heavy oil they're not used to that so the cleaning process you might take if a tool comes out of the hole it might take you an hour to wash that down where it takes you 10 minutes because the light oil just comes right off of it so michael can test to that or attest to that because those are some of the things that um but then now you're a heavy oil guy going into light oil. You're into higher pressures. You're into higher H2S levels. You're in way deeper wells. So, yeah, can we adjust? Yes, but it's a unique thing. So Mike's got kind of carrying two feathers in his hat because he's done heavy and light, and there is a difference for sure. There is, yeah, there is a big difference. Like, uh, we, get, uh, we get light oilers coming in, and they can't grasp the idea of killing the well with oil, you know, uh, they're like, that just does not make any sense. Because no matter what, in, in light oil, you need heavier fluid to kill a well. In heavy oil, you need lighter fluid to kill the well, right? Uh, and that's, logically, it doesn't make any sense. So that's why light oil, if you're going backwards from light oil to heavy oil, it's harder to, harder to, to get a grasp of, of how things work. So most but, light oilers don't like to come to heavy oil. No disrespect to our audience out there, but some well, of them don't like that because I just I'm I've I've had so much experience in light oil running tools, but I'm a heavy oil guy, and so you know we we chuckle sometimes of guys coming in and they just they're just not used to it. Guys that have been in the industry a long time coming this way to do stuff, it's just how you have to treat that stuff. It's a longer process. You got to use chemical, hot water. You got to scrub stuff down three times harder to get that varsol to get through that schmag on those tools. Yeah. All of that. It's a whole different ball game. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, uh, and then yeah, like you say, light oil. It's you pull the pump out, you wipe it as it's coming down, <laughs> as it's coming out of the hole, and you lay it right on the ground. It's almost squeaky over, clean. Yeah, over here you have to put um, uh, absorb all down, some plastic down so that the oil doesn't hit the ground. You know, and this light oil stuff, you just put it right on the ground. Yeah. It just doesn't matter. Right? We did a well at Elk Point with a company years ago, and they were a light oil rig from Red Deer, 35-year tool push. They came to Elk Point, and we were pulling the pipe. And they, they just had never seen oil coming out. They just put a stripper on. It's a stripper. It's just a, a, a piece of rubber that goes over top of the pipe that keeps it all wiped down and hopefully goes back down into the well. And they just had never seen this stuff. They'd never seen floating pipe before, any of that. That time in Elk Point, the oil was so heavy 
and that was it was curling up over the BOPs. It was cold out. It Michael, was, the, the slips were floating the above well, the BOPs. Even the slips could float above the well. The stuff was coming out. We could take, and Michael can in, can uh, confirm this, we would take that oil because it was cold out, and as soon as it hit the atmosphere, we could take it and roll it up, and we could throw black snowballs at each other. Well, you're just not seeing that in Red Deer. You're not going to see that in concert. You're not going to see that. Like, literally throwing black snowballs at each other. These guys had never seen that in their lives. Yeah. Wow. So the good, the good thing about that, too, is that oil is that heavy that when it does, when it does get cold, you can just roll it up, yeah. throw it in the pail. and <laughs> It's easy to clean. Yeah. 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 And you barely even leave a stain on the ground. Light oil, if you spill it, it's going right through to the clay. Yeah. 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 So you're at Bradshaw. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, uh, <clears throat> uh, I was at Bradshaw for a short time. And uh, so but what happened was like, you know, that was that was the place I was going to retire. That's because I was getting treated so well. Right. And uh, so he ended up um, uh, selling out to neighbors. Yeah. Back to neighbors or whatever. And so I ended up coming back to or coming back to Lloyd Minister, being out of the Lloyd Minister office. Uh, because the consort office had shut down and they just transferred it over yeah, to Lloyd. Yeah, neighbors Manchester. came to Lloyd. Even that, even even back coming back to Lloyd Minster on a on a rig, uh, being based out of Lloyd Minster, I still worked abroad, right? Yeah. I still worked everywhere else in light oil, uh, because that was his that was what uh, Bradshaw was doing anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So. Um, uh, that's where I come up to uh, this idea of helping our indigenous people. Uh, one of the our, our HR guy, he uh, he asked one day. We just I was just hanging out at the shop, and he says, "Hey, Mike. He says you wouldn't happen to have twenty guys wanting to wanting a job, would you?" And I'm like, uh, "Yeah. Well, when do you want them?" He says, "Right away." And I said, "Okay." So I made a phone call. Well, I made a few phone calls, and I ended up with 20 guys, all shapes and sizes, right? And he told me it didn't matter who they were. And I said, okay. So I get back to him, you know, probably uh, two or three hours later. I got 20 guys. I said, uh, they all need a place to live. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> and he's like, well, uh, let me talk it over with uh, management. And I'm like, okay. So anyway, what year was this, Mike? Uh, that was in around two thousand and one. Okay, roughly. No, I can't remember. Two thousand and three, maybe, somewhere around there. And uh, so anyway, he comes back and he says, "Well, let's just try ten guys for sure for now." And I'm like, "Okay." So I get these ten guys up. They go through orientation. Some of them didn't even make it through orientation. Uh, they didn't like the way the orientation was going. They didn't like what the job entailed. Uh, they didn't like um, being surrounded by white people because these are all indigenous people that I was mm-hmm. bringing out, right? And um, uh, so I ended up with like six or seven of them. Three of them went home like right away, uh, didn't even finish. So uh, I didn't pay much attention to them. You know, I got them all jobs. They all asked me for a job. I gave them all jobs. And they only, a lot of them only lasted, you know, two or three paychecks, and then they were gone. Uh, some of them didn't even last the paycheck, and they were gone. And uh, so anyway, that HR guy come back to me, and he says, uh, 
well, that didn't work out very well. And uh, I said, well, I said, maybe that batch was, um, you know, whatever, whatever happened to them. And uh, I said, do you want to go another 10? And he <laughs> said, uh, sure. I said, okay, but this time I'm going to change the rules a little bit. Uh, what I would like to do is I'd like to maybe pay attention to these guys a little bit more and see how they're doing. I want to figure out what makes them go home. I want to see what that is. And he says, how do you intend on doing that? I said, well, I want to keep in touch with these guys and make sure that they're comfortable at where they're at and, you know, they're being treated properly and, you know, go and visit them wherever they, wherever they might end up. Yeah, let me talk to the office. Okay, comes back to me, okay, it's a deal. You can uh, go ahead and take care of them. I said, okay. And I said, uh, uh, we didn't negotiate my wage. He said, well, I'll still give you your wage. <coughs> no matter where, because at that time, they were paying us our wage for roughnecking, right? So if I was rig managing, I was getting rig manager's wage for roughnecking. And I said, okay, perfect. Wow. So I brought these guys. So I paid attention to the guys that were the farthest away. And I'll, I'll selfishly admit that I did that on purpose. is because I got paid kilometers. Right? I got paid kilometers to go and visit these guys, and I got paid my wage. So that's how I was compensating for the, for the time that I was losing on my own rig. So uh, there's a guy in particular that I, that I, I, like, to tell his, I like to tell his story. When he first came, uh, I, we, we had to open up a bank account, right? And he's like, no, no way, there's no way in hell I'm doing this. There's no way, like, from what he believed, that uh, from what he was growing up, or what he was raised to believe is the banks will, will take, all, his take money. all your money and you'll end up with nothing and all this, right? So he had the wrong idea. And um, so anyway... <clears throat> I managed to talk him down. That was that was the thing that was going to send him home. He was going to go home because there was no other way to get paid except through direct deposit. So anyway, I said, I'll tell you what. I said, let's go to the bank and we will, I'll sit with you and I'll make sure that you understand everything that's being said. So the banker is telling whatever she's telling him, right? And I'm not translating, but I'm speaking his language. Right? I'm speaking his language to the, so that he understands what's being told, what he's mm -hmm. being told. And so finally he agrees to open up the account. And uh, so anyway, we get going. You know, and I'm keeping in touch with these guys by phone, uh, for starters, because there's so many of them. There's 10 of them, and there's only one of me. So uh, I, make, I finally, you know, two, two, three months down the road, I was able to drive out there to go and pay him a visit and I said hey I said why don't we uh why don't we go for supper after and I said and I'll buy and uh, he said yeah okay where do you want to go he said oh I don't know we'll go to Boston Pizza perfect all right let's go then so away we went you know and I get talking with him and and I said so I said uh, one of the questions I remember asking him is so uh you're liking everything he said oh yeah yeah he says you know they pick me up in the morning they uh, get, they feed me, they take me to work, um, they take care of me at work, bring me home, I got a place to stay, um, 
when I need laundry done, they take me to the laundromat and I get my laundry done. You know, I, I, I got nothing more to ask for. I said, well, what, 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 what about the pay? He said, oh, I haven't been paid yet. Oh, my goodness. And I'm like, what do you mean you haven't been paid? He says, well, I haven't seen no paycheck. Oh, I said, oh, remember I told you about the bank account? Direct I, deposit. Yeah. Oh, boy. So <laughs> he was getting a direct deposit. And they know he's getting his checks. Yeah. Oh, so we took Back him for you a nap on your phone. Yeah, but not only that, he's probably yeah. just so happy because he's got some serious dough in the bank. So anyway, I said, "Well, we'll go to the bank machine after we're done here, and uh, we'll go see if we can pull out twenty bucks, right?" So we went to the bank machine, and this was after there's a there's a whole other story in the restaurant, even. Right? Because this guy's never left the reserve ever in his life, and he's coming out here. And so we left the restaurant, and we went to the bank machine. I said, pull out 20 bucks. I said, do you remember that number they made you put in? Yeah. Okay, pull out 20 bucks. So I showed him how to do that and spits out the receipt. I said, take a look, Bill. I said, see how much, how much you got in there? And he said, oh, it's like 2,600 bucks. And he's like, cool, right? I said, no, you got to take another look at that. And uh, he says, what? I said, that's 26000 And he's like, oh, cool. I had no care in the world about the money that was in his bank account. As long as he was being looked after, he was being treated well, just fine. The way he you was. know, Mike, I got I to gotta say something on that. You're, that's such a good point because I've said this a lot of times. Value will always supersede wages. Mm -hmm. If you're valued as a person in a company that you're hoping that that will, um, people just want value. And I asked so many different people that have come in through the years, and I did a, I did a uh, seminar one time with guys that were, you know, they'd had some rough time, and they just wanted to get a job again. And so they'd been through all kinds of rehabilitations and stuff like that. And the number one question I asked them, and the number one answer was that they were valued over yeah. anything it was yeah. a, it was at the top of their list yeah and like i say he was totally happy with the way life was going he had no complaints he had no reason to run home uh people that uh, on the rig were treating him the way he wanted to be treated mm -hmm. you know uh and uh to be able to get lucky enough to be able to be comfortable in that kind of work environment especially when you're the only native there you know that's that's something to be said, and this is the this is the guy that's never left the reserve before. Mm -hmm. um, the reason why I I bring him up and not the other ones is because of of his story, right? Of, of where he comes from and and how he's achieved what he's achieved. Um, so I'm proud to say that he's one of four out of that ten uh, that has been here for 17 years now, still in Lloydminster. So, uh, and that was because I made sure, and it took me six years uh, between my wife and I to make sure that he was comfortable and is living this life in this, in this urban community. That's got to be satisfying to you. Oh. Just even what you've done and where you came from, and then you've got guys that can come off off of that and you can be one of the guys to say hey look i looked after some of these guys like are you do you still stay in pretty good touch with these guys still uh, yeah there's like that the odd like when i see them because they're these guys are from my community um when i see them you know we have a good conversations they tell me the what they've been up to and how, some of the struggles that they've been through you know mm -hmm. and it was all because that 
I was able to help them through those struggles. Right? Yeah. I didn't take care of the problem. I helped them take, I helped them take care of their own problem. Yeah. And, and that's, and now, um, with this company that I started integrated indigenous energy management is, uh, the company that I started with my partner. And, uh, so that is my focus now. And what I found, uh, is, uh, now I can get paid for it. Right. And it's, it's not, it's not the fact that I can get paid for it. It's the fact that I can still make sure that my family is okay right. while I bring other people. You're passionate about this, Mike. So you you want to be able to do this. And it's one thing to be passionate about it and doing all the stuff and bringing these people in. But you're right. You still have a family to feed. Yeah. And so you kind of get the best of both worlds. Being able to be very satisfying on the fact that you can bring these people and, and find them and still know that there's a there's a maybe an agency fee or there's something that's involved in that that helps you still make a yeah. living. Yeah, like, I mean, uh, um, I can't I can't be uh, a well-site supervisor because I've been a well-site supervisor since 2007. And I, I can't be a well-site supervisor and still take care of all these people that, I'm, that I want to bring on, right? Uh, so I've given up the well-site supervisor part of things to try and focus on bringing more people out to work and supporting them so that they can make it through this through life right through um living living in a in, in, a, in an urban setting and working in a mixed environment is there anybody else doing this mike and how far out do you get like you were telling me you've been up to you were in grand prairie you've been you were in calgary i think the other day like so you your network is way bigger than lloyd minster now you're 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 connecting with everybody and trying to draw from all of that resource now right yeah yeah, so uh, everywhere that I go, um, I do try to make uh, some contacts. Uh, so I go, so right, like I got contacts down in White Bear, Saskatchewan, which is southeast Sask, and I go all the way up to Blueberry, which is Fort St. John, right, the Blueberry Reserve up there, So and everywhere in between. Uh, I didn't catch everybody, but I mean, the people that I can, and that are willing to listen to what I got to say and, and how I want to try and help their community and their people. You know, they, they actually, uh, they really like the idea, but it's the politics that, I'm, that I have to get through to get them to, to actually do something about it. Right? Mike, do you find that it's part of what's in it for us? Are you getting that or are you getting better cooperation than that? I haven't, I haven't run into a what's in it for us yet. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, uh, so... Just as an example, I'm working closely with a, um, um, a band out of North Balford, and all he wants is the same thing that I want, is get more people out working, right? And the thing that I offer is, is the support after the employment has started, just like what I did with, with, mm -hmm. uh, with neighbors, where I made sure that these guys were comfortable even after they were employed and helping them through whatever hurdles that they come across. Nice. So, yeah. When did you start? When did you start integrating? Uh, my company? When yeah, did I... how, how long have you been in, with, like, how long have you been running integrated? Oh, uh, we incorporated in July. Uh, Just this past year? Yeah, 2021. Uh, and how that came about was... Um, I've been working for the Alberta Orphan Well Association through my uh, previous contracting company and uh, really didn't care about what was going on around me as long as 
my family was taken care of, right? And uh, not that I really had time to do anything else because they kept me busy. And uh, so anyway, uh, I listened to the Aboriginal radio stations all the time. And uh, the one that I was listening to was uh, CFWE out of, out of Edmonton. And they were advertising um, that the IRC was putting on a well abandonment course in Lloydminster. And I thought, hmm, that's what I'm doing, so let's see if I can get educated. So I uh, booked myself in and uh, went to the, uh, four, I think it was a three-day or four-day course. And all it was was they were just giving you H2S first aid, you know, the standard stuff. Right. Right. But they also introduced the uh, SRP program, which is the, um, the government-funded uh, well rehabilitation program, uh, which is funded by the federal government. And, uh, and how they introduced it to me is the, the federal government is putting in this money to help encourage indigenous employment and indigenous entrepreneurs. And I thought, oh, perfect, right? Let's, let's see what I can do with this. So initially I tried to go by myself, right, with just my, my regular contracting company. And I could not get through the red <coughs> tape. I could not get through to, to get the correct paperwork filled out, you know, because I was lacking uh, some of the corporate level stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, so anyway, uh, I tried to, uh, the company that I was working with at the time had all of those corporate voids that I was missing. And I tried to work with them. And, uh, and uh, I don't know how to say it, but I'll say it the way I see it. Okay. Uh, all he did was string me along, right? I was chasing work that he already had. And he didn't tell me that I was chasing the work that he already had. And after I found that out, then I thought, well, you know what? Maybe I'll just keep to myself here and just do my own thing. And then I met my partner through a mutual friend of ours. And, uh, and she was very interested in uh, what I thought we, we, we could do together. So initially... Uh, she she was already running a um, uh, a consulting firm, and and she uh, she could also run engineers because she had a, a member of of Apega right within her company already, and so she said, well, let's see if we can maybe put this together and come up with come up with a company that can do all of it, and I'm like, sure, let's go ahead, let's try it. So away we went, we tried it, you know, and, and we were able to fill in all those corporate voids that I was able to, that I wasn't able to do on my own. She, right. she came in and was able to do that. And um, so initially our first client was in actually December of 2021, where we we're doing uh, pump changes or uh, a mini frack is what we did down around Brooks. And uh, she brought, uh, she brought her... Uh, clients uh, transferred uh, her clients over to us because she dissolved her company and now we got this company going. So then uh, <clears throat> see uh, uh, I started thinking about how we could help our people and one of the reserves that I was talking to reached out to me and asked me if uh, if I could help train their people to run the equipment because it was a fairly large reserve and 
what they were sick of is people from the outside coming in and actually doing the work when they got perfectly able-bodied people within their reserve to go and do the work, but they weren't being hired and they weren't being looked after the way they should be. Right. So they asked me if I could train their people to, to run the equipment that was needed to do the swell abandonment stuff. And I said, yeah, I could, I could develop a program that we could maybe work with. And uh, so I talked to a, a rig company and a, a rig company agreed to, to uh, uh, rent a service rig to me, to us. Uh, and so that these guys could run a service rig under, under their treaty flag. And uh, at the same time, they were donating uh, a fully equipped rig to be used for nothing but training. Wow. Um, so once we get this program officially up and running, I'm going to plaster their name all over the place. But until we get it running, I got to keep it mm -hmm. as quiet as I can, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I also, uh, and where that, where that idea came from is the oil company that that reserve was dealing with said, uh, uh, what, are you, what are you thinking you can do? And I said, well, I told him what I thought. He said, well, I'll tell you what. He says, I'll, I'll give you uh, the wells. He said, if, you, if we can abandon the wells properly, sit, stick a plug in it, make sure there's no vent flow, right. put some cement in it, we'll put right. the pipe and rods back in it for you so you can practice. I'm like, perfect. That's exactly what we need. Right? So based on those ideas, I developed a program uh, that's a service rig competency program, right? where by the, time, by the time our five-week course is up, these guys are going to have uh, the support they need, number one, the support they need to continue uh, working after, after the training is done. And we're going to follow these guys to make sure that these guys are comfortable in where they're going and what they're doing and stuff. Um, and then uh, at the end of that five-week course, they get a, a, a floor hand competency certificate. And I'm applying to um, a provincial government for, for some money to help me facilitate that. So it's at no cost to them or the band. Right. Right. So it's, uh, it's looking like a non-profit organization. Would they take their certification and be able to go to some of the well servicing companies yeah. and already go, okay, like the like idea, you basically, got you've basically. got experience, you've got something that's like, you're, all the stuff that those guys don't want to deal with for the first five weeks, the guy's already had and got it ready to go. Yeah. He's going to have a really good chance of getting a job too. And a really good chance of making it yeah. because he's yeah. not being integrated into something, into a different, completely different world. Right. Because you've gone through that up here with him yeah. plus here with him, right? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, that's, and that's just it too. Like not only does it certify him to actually do the work, but it also, uh, it also increases his wage by a couple bucks, right? Now he's, now he's competent. He's deemed competent by a service rig assessor that he's competent to do that work no matter where he goes, mm -hmm. right? But the idea is too is uh, the company that I'm dealing with uh, uh, is gonna be, like all, my, all of the people that go through my training program is all gonna go to that company for starters, right? And once I fill that company up, then I'll start expanding to other right. companies. And rightly so, if they're leaning in yeah. with you to help you with the 
the combination of the rigs and and helping you with that the the, the, the no-brainer for them is just that they get some of the the uh, benefits of what you've done to go towards them because they're looking for manpower and well this this leads right into what Adam Waterman was yeah telling us. well it, what what happens is that we we just go out and we put things in the paper and we say we need guys we need guys we need guys and then you just you're sorting through that stuff out because they're just coming in you don't know from the north the southeast and the west you don't have experience they're from a different country they can even speak English all of those kind of good English or whatever and then you're sorting that out what Mike's doing from the Aboriginal side is saying I'm gonna sort this out for you and then I'm gonna give you good guys when you're looking for guys and you know it's it's always almost a panic thing, eh, Kurt? At this Our, time, where you got yeah. so many, you're looking for people, and you don't know what else to do. Hey, we need people, okay? But how do we sort through that? Mike's trying to do that, right? Do it differently. Differently. Is it band offices that are that are reaching out to you? Yep. That's who. And are they? How do they find out about you, Mike? Uh, just by stop. Like I just stop by and talk to them, right? I haven't. Uh, we haven't. We don't have any money in our in our company yet. Um, and but you have connections. I do have connections, and that's how we're we're uh, selling ourselves. Right. If you want to call it that, yep. is just by those connections, right? right? And uh, and those little connections that we have, for starters, once we start making some money, then we'll start advertising. But until then, uh, my hands are tied, right? So that's right. the only way I can do it is just by talking to people. And you know, and a show like this, I think, will probably get us out there. Yeah. You know, and and that's. One of the reasons why I, I agreed to come in and be your first Aboriginal uh, contestant. Yeah, contestant. <laughs> yeah, what are, what do we got for him for prizes? A new Nissan car. No, he, he's already got one. Yeah, yeah. We'll give him he's another not, car. He's not driving that Cordova anymore. <laughs> no, just the way he said that. that you know that's going to lead into Kurt yeah. and I. We're going to turn this into a game show or something. Yeah. I'm just kidding you, but. Well, Mike, we really appreciate your time. Like this has been fascinating. It's fascinating to listen to your story. You have a you have a wonderful story. I hope people appreciate, and I really appreciate your candid commentary. Yeah, and taking us back to your youth as well, and back all the way from residential school to where you've come from, and uh, where you are today. So it is really, really appreciated. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. We'll be back uh, with another edition of Patchwork in may me yeah could you believe how fast the uh the year is going but uh not only is the year going fast things are happening fast in the oil and gas industry yes. so and uh, we well. want to remind you that if you've got somebody that you think would be a great guest on uh patchwork uh, my email is easy kprice at nissanloydminster.com you can find it on our website uh let us know because uh we love stories exactly like mike has told us uh today his his basically Absolutely. his life story yeah and uh you've reached a point now mike where it, it's not going down yet it's just changing direction to go even further up so yeah. this is something we got to keep an eye on maybe have yeah. you back again you betcha would be great thanks for joining us today on patchwork <laughs>